Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Story. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Melanie Hafford. She's currently a bariatric surgeon at the University of Texas Southwestern practicing in McKinney, Texas. There are so many things we can learn from the life's journeys of others around us, and we feel that highlighting the lives of African-American healthcare providers can enrich and encourage our lives and the lives of our listeners. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Hafford. Hi, thanks for having me. Excellent. So can you tell us about some of your background? Like, where are you from? And tell us about your younger years. Sure. So um, I'm originally, I grew up in Lawrenceville, which is a small town outside of Atlanta. Um, But I went to public school, K-12, went to Emory for undergrad, Medical College of Georgia for med school, um, and then did my residency uh, here in Dallas at UT Southwestern. So awesome. Thank you for telling us about your undergraduate institution. So how did you decide that you wanted to go to Emory? Right. So I'll tell you, um, growing up, so I was the first person in my family to go to college. Um, And so it was definitely a journey figuring out, like I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but getting an idea of where I wanted to go. Um, And in high school, actually, or eighth grade did a project um, in terms of looking at your future and how you're going to get there. And, you know, ended up doing some research on Emory and realized I really liked it, reached out to the school and they were sending me all these admission information when I'm like 12 years old Um, and then stayed in touch with them. And as I got older, looking more into it, um, decided that that's where I wanted to go. Um, So I ended up applying early decision. And so it's the only school I applied to. Nice. That's a great story. Um, sounds like you you got plugged into where you wanted to go pretty early on. So what was your major in college and why did you choose that major? Um, so in college, actually, I did a double major. Um, at Emory, there's no pre-med major. And so I was biology and then French, um, which is pretty random. Um, but at the time, um, I had been taking French in high school and wanted to continue it and then felt like not just doing science classes. Um, And so it was nice because it it gave me the opportunity to um, do a summer semester abroad in Paris um, and just do things that were a little atypical just to be pre-med. And then of course, biology, um, being pre-med, it made it easier to to be a bio major because I was already taking most of those prerequisites. So uh, hold on, Dr. Heffer, polyvoo français? Oui, je parle bien le français. Okay. <laughs> I live in Texas okay. now, so my French sounds like Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So what made you decide to go into medicine? Did you know going into college that you wanted this? Or was that something mm-hmm. that you experienced in college and developed that? So I always wanted to be a doctor, and I don't really have a good sense as to when, and and didn't really have myself mirrored, you know, growing up in terms of seeing other Black doctors, but just was always interested in it. You know, in college, doing, I mean, college is hard in in terms of the pre-med prerequisites and, and, you know, realizing that I like some of the science and some of the science, like physics, I didn't like. Um, but still kind of trying to stay focused and that I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Um, now I didn't know I wanted to be a surgeon. And so I, my whole life thought I was going to be a pediatrician, um, and absolutely love pediatrics until 
third year of med school. Um, and so I, I definitely think that sometimes we think we know what we want, but you don't really know what you want um, until um, you have different experiences and mature and things like that. Dr. Hafford, so tell us about the support at your college since you decided you wanted to go on to medical school. Do you feel that you had adequate support at your undergraduate institution? And do you feel like they did some things well? Or what do you feel like they could have approved, improved upon that right. wasn't available at Emory? So I, I felt pretty supported. You know, they, um, what was nice is that um, for a lot of the African-American and Hispanic kids who were interested in going into medicine. Um, they had us come to campus um, a week or two before so that we could meet each other. Um, we kind of did these mock classes just to get a little acclimated to some of the coursework. Um, and then um, throughout our time at Emory, um, the office of, I guess, minority education, but the lady over, it was Andrea, who I still remember, um, who would check in with us, they do events with us, things like that, just so that we could try to feel supported um, in terms of what we were doing, or if you needed tutoring or just extra help, just because they wanted to make sure that even though everyone didn't stay pre-med, that you felt like you had some support um, going through that process, um, which was particularly nice being a first-generation college student and being a, a Black student at a, a majority white school um, where um, there's so many people who are pre-med, it's easy to kind of feel lost in the shuffle. Um, and so having a little bit of that extra support so that you had somewhere where you could rant if you were having, you know, a bad day or, you know, something was nice. Were there any things that um, you can think of now that you wish they offered at Emory to help students who were going into um, medical school? So I graduated in 2003. <laughs> so it's been a while. I definitely felt like there were resources available. It is easy. And, and this may be a lot of schools. It is easy sometimes to get lost in the shuffle. And so, um, you know, there were opportunities there um, in terms of research and things, but you definitely had to be proactive in it um, because um, they wouldn't necessarily say, oh, hey, you know, if you're applying to med school and you want to make sure you've got you know, certain things on your resume that shows that you're doing it. And so I felt like there were resources there in terms of research and things, but um, you definitely had to be have some self-motivation in terms of figuring that out. That's great information, Dr. Hefford. And it sounds like you had a really good support system there, even, you know, even um, given the circumstances and things that helped kind of shuttle you in the right direction, which is great. I guess moving a little bit forward and talking about the MCAT, which no one likes to talk about when they're uh, thinking about going to, to medical school. How would you ex uh, how would you describe your experience with MCAT prep and uh, test taking and even those medical school applications? Right. So for the MCAT, I, I definitely tell students that they should they should do a course um, just because it's not the same as your um, tests that you're going to have in your classes. Um, and of course, it's a standardized test. And a part of that test is just um, um, stagma and, and being able to um, think and concentrate over, it's like a six or seven hours, however long it is. Um, and getting used to it, because unfortunately, with boards and things like that, you know, those those tests don't go away. Um, and so I definitely did a prep course. Um, you know, I took the MCAT twice. I think the first time I took it, um, it was in the middle of sophomore or junior year. And 
it's very easy to get overstressed out over it, uh, especially if you're studying um, for your coursework. Um, and so I didn't perform as well as I wanted. Uh, and so found that um, with a summer of having more time to prepare, even though I was doing other activities and research, um, I was able to take it and feel less stressed out and, and have a score that um, was more competitive. Um, so at Medical College of Georgia, what was your experience there? Did you feel that you were well supported at that college, at that medical school as well? As well, and did you have any mentors in medical school? Yes, I will say that MCG, and I don't know if they still do this, but one of the things that they were doing at the time, at least, were for um, uh, Black and Hispanic students who were accepted. You got a full tuition scholarship, which was very helpful. Uh, for the four years. Um, and then um, same thing, their minority office did a lot of programming in terms of dinners and introducing us to um, physicians in different fields. That was really helpful. I actually remember meeting Carla Pugh, who's a surgeon, academic surgeon now, I think in Wisconsin. Uh, and I met her when I was a medical student at a dinner um, and was amazed at this Black woman surgeon um, and kind of started my I don't want to be a pediatrician anymore. Um, and so um, we definitely had uh, resources, you know, mentors. Once I decided um, what I was going into um, was a little bit more tricky um, because when I first said I wanted to be a surgeon, I got a lot of, are you sure you want to be a surgeon? You know, don't you want to get married? Those type comments. Um, and so that was finding people who were supportive in a surgical field that's very male, very white. Um, you know, the mentors that I did identify were not, of course, um, they weren't Black women because there were none at, at my institution. And so um, uh, you definitely recognizing that, you know, mentors don't have to look like you, um, but they do have to be supportive of you and, and believe in you. Um, and so some of that's a little trial and error when you, you rotate and, you know, you get a sense of uh, who you click with um, and, and who, who you feel like is going to be supportive of you and actually seems interested in you. So, Dr. Hafford, you talked a little bit about making the transition from pediatrics into surgery. So mm -hmm. what exactly made you choose surgery as a career? And were there any second thoughts, like reasons you thought, maybe I don't want to be a surgeon? Right. So going into our third year, which was when we were in the hospital, I knew I wanted to be a pediatrician, like plan my rotation schedule. I had surgery dead last because I knew there was no world in which I was going to be a surgeon. And then on peds, I don't know what I was expecting, but <laughs> whatever I was expecting didn't happen. And I was just briefly crushed and like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Um, and, you know, doing all these personality assessments for what I should go into and craziness like that. Um, and ended up doing a... Um, uh, elective month where we could do what we wanted. And so I was trying to do some research and ended up doing uh, pediatric surgery research. Um, and so I would go into some of the cases, but we were, were researching like when kids would swallow um, unconjoined magnets and have bowel injuries. Um, and for whatever reason, realized, oh, this is actually pretty interesting and that I liked going into the cases and, you know, I liked seeing the patients before and kind of the science behind it and then operating on them uh, and realized that I liked the surgery part of PEDS surge more than the PEDS. Um, and so that's kind of how I realized that I like surgery. Um, and, and then found that with my interest, um, I wanted to go see more operations and be involved in things, even if I wasn't necessarily on that rotation. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I settled into that, even though I initially thought there was no way I was going to become a surgeon. 
You mentioned um, previously about, you know, people asking, are you sure you want to be a surgeon? You know, like, what about getting married and et cetera? So once you decided, you know, after having that experience with peace surgery research, how did you reconcile those questions um, at that time? If you can remember kind of what your thought process was. Right. And it was hard there because, I mean, when I was there, they had like three women surgery residents. They had no women surgery faculty. Um, and so it's, it's a challenging thing because people will paint this picture that, you know, you're going to be, you know, old, single, alone, barren, you know, all these things. And instead of letting you know that, you know, your life is really what you make of it. You know, there, there are people in surgery who work a ridiculous number of hours and don't have a life. And I'm sure there are people in pediatrics who do the same. And so it definitely turned into me spending some time thinking, you know, do I really want to do this? Because I was single in med school. Um, and I had no prospects at the time and not wanting to feel like I was, you know, sacrificing other things in my life that I wanted for my career. Uh, ultimately, I decided to go into surgery, even though, and there were select people, I mean, uh, who I felt supported uh, me going into surgery at my med school. But even though I largely felt like I was being told that this may not be right for you. And so um, it's, I think it's, it's very easy for people to sometimes tell other people what space they belong in instead of letting, uh, recognizing that you're the only person who can decide where you belong um, and, and not being deterred just because maybe you're going into a field where, you know, surgery is something like 70% male uh, and of the, the women, it's still largely white and, and, and not having to feel like I have to look a certain way or be a certain thing to, to be what I want to be. I think that's a very important point, especially as you mentioned in going into surgery, but since you Touched on it a little bit. Um, let's kind of move into uh, your residency experience. Um, where did you do residency? Um, so I did my residency at Parkland and UT Southwestern uh, here in Dallas. Nice. And then um, and can you tell us a little bit about your residency experience in general? Like, you know, were there any high, very high points that you can recall? Any where you feel like, hey, I'm, you know, the best thing out there at, uh, on that day or any like any highlights that made you think like, yeah, I made the right choice. I made the right decision to choose this field. Right. So surgery residency. I mean, it's hard. Um, and there's no dressing it up, but it's doable. Um, I'll tell you the the first three years um, for me, I mean, were the most challenging. First year was fine because you're an intern and people don't really trust you to do too much. But second, third year um, were hard and they were busy uh, and I was working a lot. And, and, you know, it was interesting because there were definitely times third year where I would sit on, I had a townhouse, I would sit on my stairs and just think, is there anything else I want to do with my life? <laughs> because you would just have these days and we were doing these every three day, you know, 80 hour, just ridiculous, these 30 hour shifts um, and would have these bad days, but not be able to come up with anything else I want to do. So then the next day I get up and go to work. Um, and I definitely found that going into my fourth year, um, where you have more responsibility and you're more senior and you're not having to run around as much, um, I started to see some of the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of getting a better idea of what I wanted my career to look like. And so in residency, it's really easy when you're so busy to not get a sense of what life looks like after residency. Um, and my life now is nothing like residency, um, because that would, it wouldn't be sustainable. Um, and so, I mean, definitely going into my fourth year is when I realized, okay, I can do this and, you know, I can do this in a way that I like. And, 
you know, it's not just all of the busyness that comes with being at a busy residency program. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm sure, you know, all the training experiences were helpful to, you know, get you the right amount of exposure. But then you do have to kind of regroup and say, hey, you know, why, you know, why am I doing this? Is this what I want to do to kind of keep yourself going? Um, But in that same vein, um, did you have any mentors in your residency program? And if you did, uh, how did they shape you into kind of where your career path is, is currently? I did. Um, And I think especially in residency, it's helpful to have a network of mentors um, and friends, particularly outside of what you're doing, um, just because um, you definitely need that support system. Um, And so I they initially, I think, assigned us mentors, but I I just happened upon. um, So Dr. Rakshi Nariaku, when I was still a medical student doing a visiting rotation here, I met and then stayed in touch and kind of helped mentor me during residency. And when I was having bad days, I could call and just vent Um, and still ironically calls and checks in, um, which is good to just have someone who's interested in your career development and, and, and wanting to see you do well. Absolutely. Mentors can, you know, make or break your career sometimes. So it's so important to have those as you go along from one step of your career to the next. Um, But then you chose to do um, a bariatrics fellowship. And so why why did you choose bariatrics? At what point in in residency did you realize that that was, you know, your your lean? Right. So, um, same thing. And, and the typical thinking, I know, I thinking I know exactly what I want to do because I find we're all very type A. I went into residency, you know, saying, okay, now I don't want to do pediatric surgery. I decided I want to do breast surgery. I love cause, I love the ribbons, I love the patients. And then realized I did not like the actual operations. Um, and so somewhere in residency, I decided I was going to do colorectal surgery um, because I liked doing um, really advanced operations, um, but minimally invasive. Um, but I had this horrible take back and realized I really hate poop. Um, (laughs) and so same thing kind of happened into bariatrics one day where I was cross covering for someone on another service and they needed a resident in the OR, um, for a gastric bypass, um, and realized that it was a pretty cool operation, minimally invasive. Um, and then in just kind of following and, you know, hanging out in their clinic, seeing the patients, you know, going through the whole process, seeing people who were a couple of years out from their surgery, seeing people who were being worked up uh, and realized that I liked um, the longevity of it um, and that you're, you're seeing patients long-term, there's a whole process, you get a relationship with them and you're doing really cool operations. Um, and so that's, that's what led me to bariatrics. Nice. So once you finished your fellowship, you began to practice in Dallas. And I know you've had a couple of job transitions since that time. Mm -hmm. If you could talk to yourself prior to finishing residency and give yourself some pointers, what would you say as words of encouragement and words of warning? Um, So retrospectively, I definitely tell myself to make sure I know my worth um, because um, especially coming out of training when you're looking for a job, um, everyone gets so excited by the sticker, uh, and whatever you get offered. And, and oftentimes we don't really know how to negotiate. We don't even know what to ask for to negotiate. Um, and I definitely realized that in, in, in my first, uh, and even second job post-residency. Um, and I, I think that that makes the biggest difference. Um, also I feel like, and same thing, I think so much for me has been 
realizing that I don't have to have everything figured out, um, even though we like to have everything figured out because it makes us feel comfortable. You know, I finished fellowship thinking I wanted to have this really academic career and went into academic medicine for about two and a half years. And then for a multitude of reasons, wasn't happy um, and said, okay, I want to go into private practice. Um, And currently I'm in a different position and I'm private, but academically affiliated. But I, I think that, you know, sometimes you have to try things on to know if it fits you, um, just because it looks good, it may not be right for you. Um, and, and that's okay. And, and not giving yourself a hard time if, if you think that this is what I want, but then you realize, uh, it's not actually what I wanted. Now that's, that's great uh, information to, to mention too. You do, you do have to know, um, you know, where, what interests you and know kind of how to, how to, how and when to shift gears really. Um, and making that leap is, um, I'm sure it's difficult to do, but you do have to, you know, choose to do what, what makes you happy after dedicating so many years of your life to this uh, field. Um, it changes over time. I mean, I think that, so where I was in residency and, and what I wanted, it fit more to what my life looked like then, which I was single, had nothing else versus now. Um, I mean, I'm married, I have young kids and, and, and want, you know, my lifestyle to be family friendly, friendly as well. And so, um, I think we all, as we evolve, you have to evolve in your career, um, so that you're, you're still satisfied. Now that's key. And since you mentioned your home life, um, we know that you're a mom of two amazing twins. Uh, they were born after your training, but while you were in practice, so being a surgeon mom, I can imagine would be very difficult. Um, how have you navigated this exciting and challenging life change? And uh, what things do you know now that you wish you knew kind of when all this started? Right. Um, so having twins to me felt like a second year of residency, like no sleep and just too much going on. In terms of navigating that and finding that balance for me, part of it was from a job standpoint, making sure I felt supported. And so um, when I was pregnant and uh, with my girls, um, where I worked, um, my partner, unfortunately, suddenly passed away. Um, and when I came back from maternity leave, now I'm the only surgeon in our group, and I'm taking an excessive amount of call and, and not feeling supported in that um, when I also have you know small infants at home. And so recognizing that that wasn't sustainable. Um, and sometimes I find that we'll put ourselves out for our career and then you've got to stop and think about yourself and your mental health and just your work-life balance and 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 transitioning to a job that um, I was able to control how much call I was taking and how much I'm working so that now um, most of what I do is elective. And so, um, you know, I, I start my day even now. Um, most OR start at seven o'clock. Um, I told them I can't start at seven o'clock because I have nowhere for my kids to be at six o'clock. Um, so I start my elective OR at 8.30 in the morning. Um, and it works because it has to work. And that way I can get up in the morning. I can get my kids up. I can drop them off because um, they're three <laughs> and and still spend time with my kids so that I have a close relationship with them. Um, I also limit how much call I take. And I take call um, and it's a 24-hour call, but I take it from home. And I'm not taking as much call as I used to, um, which is fine because um, the hospital still gets what it needs, but I'm still able to get the time I need with my family and not feel like I'm just constantly working and, and, and not dealing with other things in my life that I care about. That's a great perspective. Um, and I know we just briefly um, kind of touched on your home life, um, but 
just even looking forward at your career over the next 10 years, like where do you see yourself in a decade? Mm-hmm. So in 10 years, um, I will have been out of practice uh, for almost 20 years, which is insane to think of. Um, where I'm now, I feel very supported and happy. And so I currently feel like I will still be here in 10 years. <laughs> Um, but I see myself um, hopefully having a pretty busy elective bariatric practice um, and, and and building that. Um, I also think it's just good business sense as physicians to have some sort of a side gig uh, for financial in- uh, income, uh, just because, especially with having kids. Um, and I haven't figured out what that looks like. Um, but I like being busy Monday through Friday, you know, eight to five. <laughs> And, and then still having my free time most nights and weekends. Thanks for that info, Dr. Hafford. And I totally agree with you on the side hustle. I think that will be another episode for another time. Yes. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode on the life and accomplishments of Dr. Melanie Hafford. Make sure to tune in weekly for our new episodes, which are available on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, and Amazon Music. Until next time. The music on the Doctors Washington podcast is by artist Mike Burton. He's a Jackson, Mississippi native. On his album, Soulful, and the track is entitled All Right. It is available on iTunes.